Give generously, give cheerfully. This morning, if this is the way that you choose to give, through Sunday morning. Uh, we've been in a series called um, Redeeming Presence. And I just want to give you a sort of quick synopsis of that. It's all online. I would encourage you to get online. Um, feedback last week was that you felt like you were sitting under a fire hose. And that's good every now and then as we talked about politics and the kingdom. And I just want to repeat that to talk about Jesus, to talk about the gospel, to mention good news is to be political. To say Jesus is Lord is to say Caesar is not. To say Jesus has good news is to say the rightful king has come. And so it is a very political uh, component of the gospel, the good news, and that we are political. We are a voice for the voiceless, a voice for the marginalized. I don't know, did anybody pick up on what's happening in Hong Kong at the minute? Raise a hand. Yeah, so it's very cool there. You can see people being political, uh, speaking up for the marginalized and those who are uh, voiceless. And one of the ways that some of the protesters began, have you picked up on how they're protesting? That it's actually emerged and it's just taken fire. A group of Christians, followers of Jesus, being political, started to sing a song, Hallelujah. Very old, old chorus. And so this is now the theme of the protest the hallelujah to Jesus. This is another way. This is a third way. This is not a, a fighting protest, but this is a way to say hallelujah to Jesus. And in that, they're gathering the masses with them who have now become nonviolent, who are saying that the rightful king is here, that there is another way to life, and they're speaking on behalf of the oppressed, those who want to live their faith out in the public space. That's how politics works. So Jesus' presence is in us. This is what the redeeming presence is all about in the series. His presence is in us. But the reality is that we're in the world. And so you can either live detached from the world, estranged from the world, or else we can live as citizens of the kingdom, as Nehemiah shows us in his book. We can engage. We can, uh, in many ways, we don't have to accept the values. We, we gracefully and we humbly resist the value system of culture. But we also play a major part in seeing our culture flourish and prosper and thrive. So what the job of the church is, is to bring the kingdom here near and far. And when we bring the kingdom to earth, what it means is that earth should flourish in every aspect of earth. God is not coming to take Christians out of the world and into a space in heaven somewhere where we sit on clouds like a blue light. But he's actually redeeming and making all things new. He has cleaned the space. He has taken on the sacrifice. That means that we can move out into the world. Does that make sense? So he's making all things new. So how do we engage the world? If we're followers of Jesus Christ, our job is not to sit in rooms like this for one or two hours. If it's vineyard on a Sunday morning, relax. We'll get you home. It's not that we sit here together and learn and then go home and get into another part of our world. But we actually live our lives as if we are transformed in part by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So his presence is in us to transform us, and so then the overflow of Christ in us is that we transform the world. Right? We cause things to flourish, cause people to be well, and for, 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 for every environment, whether it's political, whether it's healthcare, whether it's education, the arts, whatever environment we find ourselves, that it should be the better off because the church is in the community, that we engage our culture. And then we talked about reimagining. A, a big part of the first century church was imagination. I'm not being weird with that. I'm being totally Christian with that. I'm bringing Christ back into Christianity. But they had an imagination. They thought different. 
They could reimagine culture. They, do you know that the first people to in, uh, introduce funerals were Christians? Before that, you can imagine the, the, just what happened. No respect, no dignity. And then Christians said, this is not good. They engaged in society, and they started what we would know today as funerals. A lot less expensive, by the way. But that's a whole other subject. So we live our lives as God's redemptive presence in a sometimes hostile culture. And sometimes culture is hostile because the church hasn't served it. Our job is not to demand that people live a certain way. Our job is to get in with society, not their values. But we go on our knees. We listen to their problems. We don't exploit them. We have an ear, we have a a voice, we have a presence, we are comforters, we are joyful celebrators, we are are the community of God on the earth. And like I say, there's many reasons why culture becomes hostile towards the church. But the truth is, the truth is that you and I, according to Acts 1 and 8, let me read the ancient scriptures, but you have received power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We've already experienced that power. That day has come. That day is now reality. So we now experience the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we are now witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is somebody who aligns themselves to the truth, who brings the truth and the reality into the presence. So it's a, it's a, it's a law word. It's a, yeah, it's a very ordinary word. It's not a Christian word. It's not a spiritual word. It's just a word that was used in that society. Witness was something that happened to the judicial system. So the, the word witness there is that we become one who affirms the truth. We bring the facts to the situation and the event. And so instead of hiding from the world and saying we're not happy with society, we're not happy with culture, we don't like the way things are progressing, whether it's in Hong Kong or in Coal Island, we are the truth tellers and the truth sayers. We are the people who bring hope. We are the people who bring the reality to the event and to the situation. That's a job of the first century church and that's the job of the 21st century church last week we talked about that political means that you hold the mirror up it was, in the first century church it wasn't just they didn't really they weren't concerned about how people got into that position called democracy as we now have it but they were more concerned of what the person did in the position when they held the power and so it's okay for you as a follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth here in the 21st century to hold the mirror up when people don't have a voice and when people are marginalized and have lack of resources. That's the job of the local church, that we bring the truth to the event and to the situation. Does that make sense? Yeah? So we're filled with his presence. Therefore, we take his presence wherever we go. We bring the truth of the world. We bring beauty. We bring life. We bring justice, we bring righteousness in every prayer prayed, in every home opened, in every table set out to welcome the stranger, in every friendship created, in every kind act, in every kind word that we bring the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you this morning, but that song, if we want to call it set, that worship set this morning, that experience, there was one overarching theme of today's songs right through to Cheryl's thank you, and that was kingship. Jesus is the rightful king. He is the rightful king. The world will rejoice someday when they see him as he is, but it's our job at the moment and in the present to bring the rightful king into every situation, to say that Jesus is king and he is the rightful one. 
So we become, I think, the imagination of the church should be, this is where we're going, that we should be the attractive presence to the world. We should be the attractive presence to society. Let me read Matthew 5, Jesus' presentation. Jesus is off. I want you to picture the scene. Jesus' manifesto begins. He goes off to a high place. And he's looking down over the city. And he begins to speak to his followers. And he says this, You're the salt of the earth. But if it loses its saltiness, how are you going to be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Again, he's looking over the city. He's looking over uh, the lights and the commerce and everything that's going on. And he begins to change and, and to get the people of the first century to start to reimagine. That's what I'm talking about, imagination again. Does this make sense? Imagination's good when it's in the Spirit of God. And so he says, you are the light of the world. A town built or a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Engage. Our job is to engage the fabric of society and the fabric of culture. A town, city cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, put it in a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We talked about this before. Salt brings flavor. Not everything on the earth is bad. Not everything. Some things, a lot of things come from God. The Father has gifts, music, medicine, art, smarts, okay, wisdom, commerce, finance. Not everything needs to be evil. There's things on the earth that are flavorsome. And our job as the church of Jesus Christ, those who follow Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is to engage in the fabric of society and bring the flavors out. Make sure that the flavors are out. But the main function of the first century culture without refrigeration was what? Does anybody want to have a guess? To preserve. Yeah, it was to preserve. So Davy was telling me this week he got a Father's Day gift. Davy gets the most bizarre gifts. So what's your gift? Not bizarre to you because it's your world. That's what you told me. So what's your, what was your gift? A curing kit. I thought Davy was starting this wee man weird thing. Like, don't tell people in Tyrone you've got a curing kit or people will be knocking at your door saying, I've got shingles or whatever. You know, ringworm and all this sort of stuff. Could you, could you do anything for... But being a Scotchman, I know him. He'll probably take a tenner and show him his... Uh, put that potato in the back garden, dance around three times and chop one foot. And they say Christians are weird. No, David got a curing kit, which is basically a lot of it is salt, and it's just to preserve bacon and to make flavor come out of it. So the real job of the church is that we are the redemptive presence. We preserve what is good. And I want us to not just become, you know, there's so, so much naysayers in the world, isn't there? Like, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbag, handbag that sort of theology. But that, that's not true. As I read the ancient scriptures, from Genesis chapter 1, when Jesus saw that all things were good, he gave humanity freedom to choose and to engage. Humanity took the freedom, screwed up big time, became unfree people, became enslaved people. But then the story of the gospel is all about freedom, as Malcolm's been talking about with me this past two or three weeks. It's all about freedom. If we could sum up Christianity in one word, it would be freedom. Freedom. The gospel message is a freedom. The rightful king is come and he's bringing freedom. That's the job of the church. 
And so we are the redemptive presence and not everything is bad. We are to preserve what is good, right, and holy through our words, through our thoughts, through our attitudes, through our actions, through our prayers, through our servants, through our kindness, through our hospitality that should be radical and generous, through our purchasing, by the way, how we spend our money, what we buy, how we consume, that should reflect the value of the king and his righteousness and his goodness in a world that we live in. So we're set free from mission and purpose. We're God's church on the move, moving forward with power. We're moving forward with presence, and we're called to participate, engage. And so that's my talk this morning. As we go forward, I want us to engage. I want you, I, my hope that this series would do one thing, that it would create imagination, prayerful imagining, prayerful scriptural imagining, theological reimagining your town, your community, the places where you work and the things that you do. That you would begin to engage ancient scriptures, that the scriptures would inform your decision making, your purchasing, your living, your socializing, your whatever you do, your work environment. That we would engage the scriptures in a real tangible way, that they would become the reality and then they would set forth a precedent for us to imagine how things should be. That we would then bring out the goodness in society, the flavors in society and preserve what is right, what is holy, what is true. So we can't play down the church. I don't know about you, but I'm sick, sore, and tired of hearing stories of churches in decline. Let me tell you the reality of what's happening in the world. The church is not small. It is not growing small. It is not going to go out. It's the most powerful thing on the face of the universe. She is unstoppable. Jesus Christ, the Messiah King, the rightful King, came onto the earth, and he said these words, that the gates of hell would not come against the church of Jesus Christ, that it would be an unstoppable force for good and at, at the end of the day the only thing that will be left on the earth is the people of God and the things that the people of God have redeemed through Jesus Christ Messiah King let's not play small let's engage let's reimagine how we usher in the kingdom how we can do that how we can participate how we can be signposts to beauty in the brokenness of our world I'm not saying that there's brokenness out there. You don't need me to tell you about brokenness. That's not the point. You don't need me to stand up any Sunday morning and tell you where the dark places are, where the brokenness are. If you live and you wake up and you breathe at all in our culture, you understand that we're surrounded by brokenness, right? But what you need to hear is that we have power and presence to transform and to reimagine and to make all things new. That's the gospel that you need to hear. You don't need me coming up here and being naysayer. You need me coming up here not hyping you up, but actually releasing you into your everyday ordinary to say that you're empowered by the Spirit of God to bring things that people need in a broken world. I'm close to preaching this morning, but I'm going to stop because I want you to hear three stories of people who have begun to reimagine, who have engaged their culture, engaged their society. And this, this is what helps us, that we can talk so much, we can theorize, we can, um, yeah, we can come up with ideas and, and so many uh, talking exercises and, and all that, but the reality is that we have to go and do. We have to engage. Jesus says, go into all the world. Where is all the world? Well, we're not all called to travel the world, but wherever you go on a Monday morning, that's your world. You go in his power, in his presence. So I want to introduce you to three people this morning, one at a time, who are BCD family. Okay, they're not international speakers. They don't 
uh, their story is not actually their occupation in life, but it probably is their vocation in life. It's something that their heart is wrapped up in. And so they come from uh, different backgrounds. Uh, their stories are totally different, but they are living as resident aliens that we talked about from James and Peter. They're living as resident aliens who are making the better, making society the better, just by them being there. And I'm not playing that small, nor am I hyping it up at the same time. I'm just telling you, that's the reality. We've got three people who are part of this family, living as resident aliens, making this home and holding the value of the kingdom of God in a serious position and actually living out as citizens of the kingdom. So the first one I'm going to tell you, it's quite a unique story. And you know what? I dropped the ball this morning. So this whole story is pictureless. And the thing that makes this story remarkable is the picture. And I didn't bring it. So I'll have to say, sorry. So Nicola, would you come? Nicola Burney. Don't you hate that? Sound guys, when people do that, check a mic and they do that there. Is it on? It is on. I'm just trying to annoy everybody. You don't hate it? No, just pretend not. What do you not like? <laughs> this is Nicola. So you... Hold on, Nicola. So Nicola's the superwoman, right? Yes, yes. She's such a creative, bright, bright lady. And um, she takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary as cheesy as that sounds. But she really does do some beautiful things with very little. So why didn't you tell us, I asked you to tell a story of the rocks. Rocks, yep. Um, right. As part of Give a Day to Dungannon, um, all the children um, have been painting flowers for a few years for different um, daycare centres around the town. And this year we had an awful lot of little children and we wondered what they could do um, what they could paint. And um, I was talking to Ruth Walker and she was telling me about Dungannon Rocks. Um, I don't know if you've heard about it. Like lots of people. I thought paint. it was just a slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Dungannon Rocks. rocks. <laughs> so all the little children, uh, well, people paint rocks and they hide them around the park for the children to find and then post them on Facebook. So we thought it'd be really nice if the wee kids could paint these rocks and put what they actually did was wrote little verses or encouraging words um, on them and then they hid them in the park um, for people to find. Now these rocks came from Ali Moore's field. I don't know where Ali is. But he came around with this massive, massive tub of rocks which only Ali could carry. <laughs> so it did look a bit like the world's strongest man. Um, so we had all these rocks left over from Give a Day to Dungannon. So we took them to um, a daycare centre Actually, this was um, an old people's home, and there was lots of um, people there with dementia and who had strokes. So we painted these rocks. They just painted um, just just colours, and then we put um, napkins on them and made with patterns and made them look really pretty. And then the week following that, we had a little sale because they needed funds to be able to run some of the, the services, and we sold these rocks for three pounds each. <laughs> Um, as door stops, and we made over three hundred and fifty pounds. And then this enables them to be able to have to bring musicians in to stimulate them, and um, maybe go on a wee trip on the bus and things like this. So now this is also happening in about four other different centres. Everybody's painting rocks oh, <laughs> from Ali's field. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's sitting on a gold mine. <laughs> so, so just from your idea of rocks from a field, bringing them in, now there's like four other day centres are taking yeah. this by the way. Wow. Raise funds for the That's what church then calls a ministry. <laughs> the rocks ministry, right? Rocks ministry. <laughs> so good. And yeah. it does what just like the value of away a day, people dimension, stuff like that and strokes. What what's the reality? What does that what does that look like? What, what difference does that make? Because we're such a oh, awesome. society like has changed politically, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. and so we don't have as much grants or infrastructure. So what that resource, what does that make? It just adds life and joy to their lives because otherwise they'd just be sitting in a room in front of a telly all day. They just get some of some. I mean, the old people's homes are a bit different, but some of the centres I go to, they they just live on their own. They get brought in on a bus and just sat in a room. So unless people come in and do things and stimulate them, you know, it gives them a purpose and it it gives them self-esteem and, and joy. So and the sad thing is that next year they've cut eight centres. And they are con they're continuing every year. They're cutting more and more and more out, so they don't have any funds and they don't have any people going in. Um, so after last week, um, Jesus put my heart to do a bit more, do a bit more political. Be political, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you. Powerful story in that, guys. We don't. You don't have to wait for your politicians to be the church. You have a king, and you have a lord whose kingdom has come. You can do something. You can do something. We honor, we respect, we pray for, and we choose. So the will of the people is to choose. That's your will. That's a powerful thing. That's what Christians get to choose. They, they take their will and they say, I'm going to pray for your leadership. It's all part of it. But we don't have to, we don't have to agree with the system. The right system is the kingdom of God. And that's a very powerful story to decide today of what it means to be church. Uh, next person is a totally different story again. It's, it's Andy Young who is leading worship this morning. We're going to invite him to come up and just share what that looks like in his life, which is totally different. Feel free to welcome him. So I've asked Andy to come share a little bit of what he does outside of leading worship on a Sunday morning and also outside of his own 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. He's, he's a teacher, primary school. Uh, so, yeah, just explain what you do and what, we've asked you to, what story we've asked you to tell. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of in the context of using, using gifts and, and talents. Um, I'll probably start this by just acknowledging three people who are quite important to me in terms of um, enabling me to, to do what I've done. Uh, one is uh, Dave Flanagan. I'm sure you know Dave Flanagan. Um, but he was on at me for a very long time to, to just, why don't you go and play in pubs and, you know, because I've, I've done gigs and things like that for people for a, a number of years, but didn't think I quite had the skill set and didn't believe quite enough. But he was a real, real big cheerleader, a real big supporter. A second person would be John Burney in this, in this context. That um, there's just, I just find it's helpful, particularly if you're a man, 
and you want to find out who you are and what you're about, just find one or two people who you can be utterly vulnerable with and just tell everything, warts and all. And that, I just find that enables you to use these talents and be this, this presence in, you know, out, outside of the church context. Third and finally, obviously, I couldn't, I couldn't not mention, mention Claire. Um, I think, I think uh, yeah, she does deserve a round of applause. <laughs> Um, for anybody who knows me well, uh, y when you see past the veneer of me, I can be a po possibly slightly challenging individual to do certain things with. Um, uh, I have my issues and, and difficulties, and uh, I'm not as straightforward as it would appear. And uh, outside of an extrovert shell is actually somebody who's battled with various things um, over the years, which I'll, I'll go into a bit later. But, um, but yeah, I just I thought it was important to just acknowledge those people. Like almost, I feel as I want to do it publicly in front of God as well, and just sort of thank Him for the influence that those people have had on me. Because without them, I wouldn't be able to do what I do in church and outside of church. Um, so using using gifts is uh, like music's always been so important to me. Um, I remember as a child, I was eight years old, and uh, there was this guitar lesson going on in this hall. And, uh, and I remember just being really short, obviously, and tugging my mum's skirt, going, I want to do that, I want to do that. And it seems like such an inane thing, but I do believe God was in that. And, uh, um, you know, and then I started learning, learning the guitar. And, and again, another person, like uh, the word enabling is coming up to me a lot at the minute. Um, but Philip Robinson, he was my guitar teacher, and he taught me guitar, just gave me a real love of music. And, uh, and I'd always loved uh, music. Um, I've always felt a little bit different, like a square peg in a round hole. I felt a little bit peripheral in society, <laughs> as though, oh, people don't really see the world like I do. This is, this is <laughs> but with music, you find people who are kind of like you. So there's a, real, there's a real connection there. And I remember that from being a very young age. So in the terms of bringing music into, like, outs obviously, I want to use gifts in church. So there is something that I feel as I'm kind of meant to do that. Um, but doing gigs is kind of, uh, so I, I actually play down in uh, Tomney's most of the time. Um, and I, I don't want to sound over spiritual about this. It, it wasn't something that God said, go and play in Tomney's and be my presence in the world. Um, it wasn't anything like that. It was partly, um, I just love music. So I, I, I love like creating things and um, I use sort of live loopings and record things. And, and I kind of found a joy in just being who I was made to be. That was the first thing that I noticed when I started doing gigs. And that helped me be, you know, in other areas of my life. So I think when you end up doing what you're, who you are designed to be in, a, in areas outside of church as well, it's just very fulfilling, you know. So there's a real benefit in that, in that angle. And, uh, and, and yes, it's not, and it, partly it gives some money to sort of, to top up things to, so we can treat ourselves to a holiday or um, it provides money for family. Um, and then thirdly, and again, I don't want to sound over spiritual, this is not the main thing of this, of why I do it, but there is something about God in the dynamic of a Christian person going and singing in a, in a pub. Um, there are moments which feel very similar to, to worship where you can be singing a song, and it might be like a, a song with, because there are so many songs with a God sort of theme in them. And I've noticed that especially songs like, like by bands like U2 who are 
Christian people who but don't necessarily overtly write Christian songs. There's one song I still haven't found what I'm looking for, which Christians really mistake that for Bono slagging off God and saying, oh, I've seen the kingdom, but, you know, like, I still haven't found it. He's not saying that at all. Like, it's a gospel song. It's a gospel lyric. And it's like a yearning. And I've noticed that when you sing songs like that, and you sing songs like, you know, because it says, it talks about the kingdom coming, and, and I, I still believe it, and I'm still running, you know. And when you, there are moments when people just quieten down a bit and look and listen. And I kind of feel as though God, like, invades those, those moments. And so that, that is kind of, you know, what Jason talks about, but kind of bringing a redemptive, you know, a, a redemptive presence. Um, and also j- just bringing music into school and teaching as well. So I write little songs about grammar or maths and things, you know, mm. um, uh, for, for children. And they're sort of just bringing it in there. But when you put it all together, um, I believe that God's given me a love of music. And I believe that God has given me a, a base sort of level of talent in something. And I don't want to bury it in the sand. And, and it's not as though... You, to encourage you guys, it's not as though some talents are obvious. The music one is very obvious. I would say of John Burney, for example, one of his major talents is he does see himself as an encourager, but he's more than that. He's a person who has a talent in enabling people to be who they're meant to be. And that's, that's what I would love to encourage you about, is just trying to get God to, you know, to push you to use these talents and abilities for who you're meant to be. Um, and then lastly, um, I, I've, I've, I've struggled sort of on and off with, with mental health issues, and not, not for a lot of my life. It sort of comes, comes and goes, and sometimes I monitor it, and it's fine. I've had a couple of bad spells, um, but most of the time it's grand, but I do have to keep, keep an eye on it. But I just simply find that doing music, gigs, worship, taking the music into school, there is, it helps. So, because you're being who, who you're meant to be, and, and you're letting people in who are encouraging to you, enabling to do that. And I think for men as well, um, there's a bit of a mental, so there's a bit of a stigma around mental health, but if you suffer from anxiety or if you suffer from depression. But I would say sometimes I can get quite anxious and have fairly sort of irrational fears and, and doubts about myself, but I do find that when you do music, and you, you, you almost forget some of these things, and it does help, so I think I would encourage men, and just all of you in general, like, be who you're meant to be, because it will help you in, in, so, many, in so many different areas. Um, yeah, so I think I wouldn't say the last two years have been the easiest for me. There's, you know, some, there's been some difficult experiences, but during that time, God has given me, particularly with, with someone like John Burney, somebody who I can just go to. And I, I, and I don't think it's wise, actually, to if you are struggling with an area of mental health like this, or you're struggling to find out who you are, you, you don't want to over-disclose to a lot of people. Pick like one or two people who you trust, but you've got to pour it all out got to have just one or two people who know this stuff, you know, who know what you're struggling with. And sometimes when you speak things out, they lose their power as well. So, so, um, so I think just to bring it all together, you know, like 
I'm aware of my weaknesses and my frailties, of which there are many, and I'm aware of my strengths as well. And I kind of want to use those in church and outside of church and just be who, who I'm meant to be. Make sure I've just got one or two people along the way who kind of who can cheer you on. You know. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. So good. I think I think that one of the things that marks Vineyard Church Dungannon, there's a lot of things. We use words like mercy and non-judgmental, but I love the vulnerability of our family. So thanks, Sam, for that. There's power in that. And what we talked about last week is faceless powers and the nameless things. When we name them, they lose their powers. That was super helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Dave's keeping him right. Look at him. Andrew, when he's talking to you. <laughs> great family. Last, but no means least, um, I just want to just reference this one. Uh, we're a church that absolutely hates gossip. Um, relax. I'm leaning into a good point. But we love God gossip. And I love it when I hear stories secondhand. And I'm not the first person to hear about it. Now, probably 15 years ago, I might have been insecure. I'm the lead pastor, and people are doing spiritual things without my permission. Yeah, I'm kidding. But I love it when our people go and do the gospel and bring the rightful king, and you hear whispers of it. And then recently, somebody heard, somebody came up to Michelle and I said, did you hear what Dan Cummins has been doing? I said, no. And then they start to tell us, and then other people start to tell us, so I encourage you, if you're a gossiper, stop it, first and foremost. But if you want to replace the addiction, be a gospel gossiper. Be a God gossiper. Tittle-tattle about good stuff that's happening in your life and others' lives and, and share it and, and, yeah, just go ahead and spread it as far as you can. So we're going to bring a bit of gospel gossip to you uh, from the original source. And that's Dan Cummins. So I've asked Dan to come and tell us what we've heard secondhand about this morning. So, yeah, your story, that particular well, story. So I'm going to tell my story like a woman, which means you have a bit of a run into it, you know, and you have a circumstance. And that's oh, circumstance. brace oh, yourself, so brace yourself. It's if you had a like more control for the oven, turn it down now. <laughs> just joking, just joking. So, do you know really, I have to say, well, you know, it's a, it starts with God, doesn't it, and his redemptive story. And then, you know, Jason and Michelle said yes, we'd come to Dungannon. So that was part of it. And then the church ran the legacy campaign, mm. right? So, and we said yes, and people put their hands in their pockets, and we had this place. And then there was Sharon Clark, she was then, okay, <laughs> who started Reach, part of that whole compassion ministry that was... Will McLaughlin, who had a heart mm. for the needy. And um, all of those things feed into all of this and also feed into the way I think nowadays, mm. which is quite a, a lot different from the way I was brought up to think. So, um, and then we had Nigel Graham, of course. And Nigel had a heart for refugees. And he said to, to Brian, my husband, one day, he says, I have a big motorhome there. Do you think I could fill it up with aid and we could go out to France with it? And Brian says, why not? <laughs> and off they went. And then, of course, Brian has considerable influence over me, you'd be surprised to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And so then, uh, of course, I went out too. So, so there was some uh, the heart and the thought for the refugees um, began to grow. And once you begin to talk to people who've experienced desperate suffering, you really can't forget about that. You really can't. So sometimes the first thing that you need to impact on people is actually to talk to them. It's as simple as that. Just talk to them and hear their story. Listen. Mm. That's what you've got ears for. <laughs> Listen. And um, you hear some harrowing tales. And if you think, I was just thinking about the Syrian refugee crisis. 400,000 dead, 1.9 million injured, um, 5.5 million refugees out of the country, 6 million displaced in the country, and that's in a country of about 20 million to start with. So if you think about that uh, for Dungannon, that would be 1,600 people in Dungannon killed or injured, and about half of the town displaced away to another country or something like that. So mm. what's it like, you know, what's it like then? The government of this program where they're resettling 20,000 uh, Syrian refugees in the UK over a period of five years, and I think we're nearly at the end of that five-year term now. So um, <coughs> I think now to date there are nine families in Dungannon, and um, see, these are things that I have um, heard through many things again. REACH comes in, this is kind of where REACH meets refugees. I was involved with REACH because God had been pursuing me for about these things and just just nudging me all the time to help with people. So, you know, I, uh, a long time ago I decided I would take a, half, take a half day from the work I was doing at the time and, and give it to REACH. And so I was there then when the refugee key workers came to REACH to get some help for the Syrian families. We well, just happened to be in the place you know, at the time. And uh, that grew then uh, because we were able then to have campers for the families. We had connections with the refugee support workers. And I was able to give, because the, the, the compassion store is out at our house, I was able to say to the refugee support workers, if you need something, you give me a bell and we'll see if we can get it. And then we have the overlap of reach again with the refugee ministry. Um, also, uh, with Jason and Michelle's life group, we were able to say, what do we do for Outward Focus? Well, we thought there are refugee families in Dungannon. Hmm. And so why don't we do a, a meal for them? So we had a few families here in the press. And then, yes, Linda, I remember you, you and, and one of the guys did some hair cutting here as part of the compassion project at Christmas first year that had come. So we ways to integrate people, make them feel welcome. Can you imagine yourself if you were had lost many relatives, you had watched people been blown up. If you were sitting here now and there was bombing outside and one could land here and your children were maimed and you know your relatives gone and fighting all the time and you know this what would that be like? And then you're away in some foreign country and you have a different religion, you look different, you don't speak the language, you know nobody. What would that be like? You know, what would it be like? So, so um, Matt got an email from one of the refugee sport workers and uh, it said, could any of you help with a lift for a lady in Dungannon to go to the dentist in Belfast? 
because she needed, she had, when she came to this country, she stayed in Belfast to start with before she was housed in Dungana. But uh, so I thought, mm, I don't really like driving in the, I don't really like driving in the city, but I can drive, you know, so I can do that, I can do that. Of course, because I had been out of the refugee camps and was also in reach, suddenly I was the expert on everything to do with <laughs> refugees. Fluent in Arabic. <laughs> so I could pass on. I'm wonderful at Arabic. I know one word, I think. But I can Google like the rest of you and say, well, what is this word in Arabic? <laughs> so, uh, and so on, but on. Um, so now I think nine different key workers have been in touch with us here. And about 20 Syrian families who have been resettled in the north of Ireland here, will are, um, have received goods that you have donated, mm. have benefited from mm. money that you have given mm. at Christmas time. And um, uh, even the one wee story that is really a lovely story is um, two of the ladies came to reach not too long ago. And one of them was quite new, the common batches of families are resettled at the time and uh, we've got some groceries, got some clothes and then one of the ladies saw a wee doll, a wee doll with no clothes on it, she said do you think I could have that for my wee girl and I said of course you can but it had no clothes on it so I said to the girls who helped with the clothes part of reach, I think you could find a wee baby grow that would fit that doll and of course they had wee, several wee premie baby grows that they had there and fitted the doll. The other lady that was with her said, well, my, my wee girl has a doll, but it has no clothes. Uh, well, um, when I say said, we got this message across. Because <laughs> I didn't speak English and I didn't speak Arabic, but we understood. And um, found another wee one for her doll. And then I thought, well, you know what I'll do? Because, because I'm a granny, so I have wee children running around, so I know the sort of things I like to do. So there's another, there's a talent you can use, you see, if you have children. I thought, those dolls need a nappy. So we went to the cupboard and we got a size one nappy. Well, those ladies just laughed and they were overjoyed to get a size one nappy for their wee girl's doll. What is that like? <laughs> so naturally then, um, there's a whole lot of stories, but um, naturally we had the give a day to them Gannon and we thought, what can we do? And not, not really me, Nigel Graham again. Nigel and Paula, they started this. What can we do for these families in Dungannon? So they thought it's about the end of Ramadan, fasting's over, couldn't we bring them a wee gift? So of course I love to cook. So they said, here's another thing you can do. If you like to cook or you like to do that, Mandy likes to make music and Nicola likes to paint stones. So if you like to cook, <laughs> uh, you, can, you can do something that'll bless people. So I looked up all the recipes for what to do uh, for the end of um, Ramadan and they make these wee things called mamouls which are just like stuffed shortbread, really, in a wee special um, mold that makes it look nice. So it's pistachio nuts or dates or something like that in the middle of a bit of shortbread. We made some of those. We got some pistachio nuts, we got some dates, we got some hot sweets, and we visited all the families with these um, wee, wee parcels. And everywhere we were invited in, we were welcomed. They wanted to bring us some and feed us and we went in one or two places, but you know, you couldn't, you just hadn't time to win everywhere. But they want us back, and we must go back. And a very special story from that time was a family that, again, we had, we brought a sofa to the family. 
Um, I didn't meet them because they weren't there when I delivered the sofa. And um, then one of the support workers came out to the store and got several things for their house. But I had, when I left the sofa, I left a wee note on it just to say that it was, it was from Reach here in my own name. And when we arrived at the door and they heard my name, they said, oh, it's Diana, it's Diana, you see. And uh, this very tall, older gentleman then came out. And um, he just was overwhelmed with gratitude. He really was. He said, you know, uh, or the, the two daughters, teenage daughters, their English was quite good. And between them, they told us the story that they hadn't seen each other. He and his family hadn't seen each other for seven years until they were reunited in Dungannon uh, this year. And um, it, it just, we just could have cried, honestly. Mm. And they were overwhelmed with gratitude that we, we helped them along and that we cared about them. And it was such a small thing. It was somebody's second-hand sofa. It was a few ornaments, a few blankets, a mirror or something. I can't remember what that specific family got. But because you have given, mm. because, um, the, yeah, just for so many things have come together to make that happen. And... Uh, one of the families has received uh, a New Testament in Arabic. Yeah. And, you know, if we can bring not just hope for now, but hope for everlasting life, that would be quite something, wouldn't it? Uh, quite a change. There you go. Well. <laughs> I just did. Guys, why don't you stand? We've sort of run out of time, unfortunately. There's so much more Diane could tell, Andy could tell, and Nicola, but that's a powerful story. Again, you see, the religious mindset and the political mind of our age would tell you that you don't go to another religion or culture on Ramadan if you're a Christian, Christ follower. But we choose to go, not stand on soapboxes and tell people what their problems are, but we choose to incarnate the message and ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and go. And for so long, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And what we've done with the word go is we've reduced it to certain people and events and not made it easy for the ordinary everyday person to take their everyday ordinary life, music, rocks, painting or cooking and just go. Don't reduce it to events or missionaries or preachers or pastors or priests. You are the incarnate of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Therefore, take a step of inconvenience and go into the space and bring the kingdom of God and then see what the Lord does in that moment. <laughs>